Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, we should have a good one here. We're going to be talking a lot about what's changed for the Kraken, right? They're able to, to stop the losing streak, pick up a couple wins, play a really solid game against the Kings last time out. We'll break down all that good stuff. We'll talk about Riker Evans, because, I mean, he's certainly been a part of all of that. We'll give some news and notes, talk about the trade the Kraken made this week and the latest on all of the injuries that they have um, but first rj want to ask you have you been to the new queen anne beer hall location of course queen anne beer hall the lovely sponsor of this podcast and i want to know how's it looking out there yes i actually have i went to their new location moss bay hall at the kirkland waterfront and dylan let me tell you it is awesome it kind of has a different feel than the Queen Anne Beer Hall we know from, from Queen Anne, right? I think it's a little bit more situated for the Kirkland waterfront. There's a little bit kind of more open space. There's some, you know, a little more just, you know, individual table seating along the side. You've got that nice view of the waterfront, um, but it's a great location. Um, I was super excited to check it out in person the other day. Uh, the menu is a little bit limited for the time being. The, I'm sorry, Dylan, the Detroit style pizza isn't there yet, but I saw the big pizza ovens. They've got the whole kitchen ready. That's coming very, very soon. I was going to say, they've got time. It's 10 days before I fly up there. So, I mean, they have time, but also, guys, you're on the clock. <laughs> yep. Got to let them know. Better be ready by the time you're there uh, for that. And then, of course, at the original Queen Anne Beer Hall location in Queen Anne, right by the arena, uh, they've got that Winter Hockey Hall event coming December 30th, right before the Winter Classic. It'll be their big Winter Classic type celebration. We'll be there, of course, uh, and lots of great uh, hockey themed entertainment as well. Yes. Yeah, so definitely, everybody check out that original Queen Anne Beer Hall location on the 30th. Stop by and say hi to us. It's always fun. Uh, another opportunity to stop uh, to say hi to us that you could actually get started on tonight if you happen to be listening to this podcast right when it comes out. Uh, and that's because we're doing RJ, our Patreon live commentary tonight against Dallas Stars. So want to want to make sure we remind everybody about that. Um, but if you listen to this podcast, say tomorrow morning on Tuesday, know that there's still good stuff coming because this week also includes the your armchair GM stream, which is tomorrow, right? Uh, that is correct. Dates, right? Tomorrow, yeah. 7 p.m. Yep, tomorrow. And then on uh, uh, it's, uh, Thursday, for me, uh, get to do the Prospect Live chat. So I'm all mixed up because I have the, the SoCal games this week. I'm like, oh, it's Thursday, right? Yeah, it's Thursday. Yeah, it's a busy <laughs> week for you, I know. And, a, hey, a busy week on the Patreon. And we yeah. still do offer that one-week free trial for new members. So if you're thinking about trying it out, if you want to see what it's all about, you want to watch the game tonight along with us, Uh Check it out, get the week free trial, and it's the perfect time to do it, right? Because you yeah. get the live commentary, you get the prospect chat, you get the armchair GM chat, and you get a red glare podcast. So this is the time. Check it out. One week free trial for new members. Definitely, definitely should be a fun time because it always is. Like, I don't oh, yeah. even need to like pretend like it's going to be a fun time. We know it's going to be a fun time because we always have a fun time doing that. Uh, and then last, real quick, just before we get into it, I just want to say thanks to uh, Chris and Team 114 uh, for the travel mugs. When I was up there, this, these were gifted to me and I haven't... Um, been able to get a, a shout out on a pod yet but uh, I wanted to go ahead and do that now really come in handy as I've been editing that uh, project that will be revealed and coming out later this week <laughs> so Ooh. I will say that and I love by the way everybody you should check out these travel mugs the, the the way they close and everything on the top has been great I've been able to like have it out on my desk while I'm editing like in and around my computer um, and uh, it, it's been nice I don't have to worry about it when like Afra jumps on the desk or something because she wants me to stop and go do something with her instead so I <laughs> just want to say they're, they're really quality product I like those a lot uh, so thanks to Chris and team 114 all right now for news and notes, RJ, let's start with um, the new addition to the Kraken. Tomash Tatar joining us from the Colorado Avalanche, RJ, for a fifth round pick. What you, would you think when you first heard this? Uh I thought the deal makes sense. I mean, the first thing I thought was the deal makes sense. And also, okay, that's what all the juggling was <laughs> yes. about earlier in the day. You know, we were kind of waiting to see what that would lead up to. And it ended up le leading to a trade. So the Kraken trade, uh, a fifth round pick in this year's draft 2024 coming up for Tomas Tatar, who is a 20 goal scorer. He is known for his scoring ability as a forward. He's a winger. Um, and uh, he has having a down season with Colorado this year, only one goal in 
20-something games. Just wasn't really a fit there. A player who could really use a change of scenery. And the Kraken bring him in to try and get him jump-started. Yeah, and I mean, this is kind of similar to what they did when they picked up Ellie Tolvanen last year off of waivers, right? Just a guy struggling in his current spot. Kraken are able to come in, breathe some new life into him, and away he went. Um, you know, I, I don't see why this couldn't happen here either, RJ. I mean, Tatar, he's, he's a really solid player. You mentioned he's been a 20-goal scorer. He's been a 20-goal scorer seven times in his career with another season where he got 19 and 73 games. Have to assume he'd probably get to 20 in that season, too. Um, and you look at what, you know, maybe why is he's struggling and this year I think it might just be as simple as RJ his shooting percentage he's shooting five percent uh this is a guy with a career average of 12.8 so if he's just able to get back to his normal self when it comes to his shooting percentage there's no reason to think he couldn't be at least on pace for 20 goals over the course of the rest of this season with the Kraken I think that's going to help them out we've talked a lot about how you know what's the difference between this year and last year as they've struggled this year well I mean the shooting percentage has been down across the board for everybody we knew that was going to regress but a lot of it has just been depth scoring scoring in general hasn't totally been there if Tatar is able to turn it around and kind of go back to the guy that he's been now for a decade plus no reason to think that that um that the Kraken's scoring struggles will be as bad just because he'll be there to contribute so I'm yeah. excited for that go go ahead yeah, and I mean, there's reason to believe that he can get there, too. I mean, his most recent 20-goal season was just uh, last year, I mean, yeah. with the New Jersey Devils. He's done it very recently, and, you know, the sample size with that shooting percentage, he's 33 years old. Those are plenty of games yep. uh, to know that that's really the player that he is. Um, so, you know, we'll see kind of where he can fit in on this team. Um, you know, I, I think we should address... Uh, you know, the a couple of the issues, you know, potentially because, look, he's got a long history as a player yeah. um, and there's some upsides for certain. I mean, first of all, he's an analytics darling, like the oh, analytics yeah. people absolutely love him. His his numbers always look good there. Um, and I know there was a conversation even a few years ago, just like, is he a top 50 forward in the league potentially? And, you know, some mm -hmm. analytics people saying, yeah, maybe he is with that level of production. But Dylan, I mean, come playoff time, he has been benched. Pretty yeah. consistently in the playoffs. I mean, what's the story there? I, you know, we've talked a lot, and we we talked a lot about it leading up to the Kraken's playoff run last year, and we talked a lot about it around, say, players like Daniel Sprong. Right? There are really good regular season performers, guys that can go out there and be skilled players. They can shoot the puck, they can score goals. But if they're not complete players, when the playoffs come around and the style of the game changes and it gets tougher more physical more defensive right all of those things that we know that playoff hockey turns into there are just some people that aren't really built for that that's not where they excel and if you're a player that doesn't have kind of a complete game or you're not able to transition come playoff time to have a more complete game you're going to find yourself you know, on the bench for those playoff runs. And he did that both for Vegas's run to the Stanley Cup final back in 2017-18 in that season. And then a couple years ago when the Montreal Canadiens went to the Stanley Cup finals, he was benched for a lot of that run as well. So it is something where, you know, that's that's a concern with him should the Kraken get to the playoffs. But right now they're just trying to get back into that playoff picture. They're just trying to get back into the wild card chase. So, you know, you might as well bring him in, let him do his magic in the regular season. And then you can kind of worry about the complete play if when you get there. And I think that's what they're trying to do here. Right. It's something important to point out right now, just so everybody knows. But yeah, Tomas Tatar, there are players that get you there and players that get you through. Yep. He's a good example of one of the players that gets you there. But you know what? That's OK, because the Kraken probably need a little bit of help getting there at this point, if you look at where they are in the standings. Um, and I think he's going to help them, you know, turn that around. Look, the Kraken just needed cheap goal scoring. That's yeah. that's the number one thing they needed. And I mean, this is kind of the perfect player for that role. Definitely. And you got to love Ron Francis, right? Going out there, identifying somebody struggling in a spot, right? Being able to buy low fifth round pick, right? Like that's just a dartboard throw in a draft. You're able to bring somebody in to help your club now, um, especially because, you know, the Kraken still have a chance. We'll talk about this later when they about how they've turned things around these this last week or so. Um but they, they, they're still very much in a spot where they could make the playoffs. And that's something that Ron Francis has to go out there and do. So I like that move um, in that regard. And then just real quick for everybody, um, as far as like what he's an analytics darling at, uh, 
zone entries that lead to scoring chances, which is something that I think would be music to a lot of Kraken fans' ears. And um, slot passes, RJ. His completion percentage in the slot. He's been like a top 20 player a couple times in his career when it comes to, to um, completing passes in the slot, which is, of course, the highest danger of chances. So um, he brings he brings a really interesting skill set. And we'll talk later on about how we think that could fit in for the Kraken. But I, I think it's going to fit in pretty well here the rest of this regular season. That's the that's the big news when it comes to bringing him in. We'll get to how and all the shenanigans that happened earlier in the day that everybody I know has questions about. But real quick, RJ, what's the latest on some of the other injured players for the Kraken and um, and what we might be able to discern from other moves going on around said injuries? <laughs> that's right. Well, um, I'll start with uh, the goaltending here because that's you know been certainly an area of focus recently. And we got a little bit more clarity on Philip Grubauer's injury situation. So for a while, there was just no designated timeline on him. Uh, finally did ask uh, Dave Haxtall about that, and he kind of clarified that Grubauer is week to week at this point. So obviously not the best news there as far as his timeline, uh, but he's week to week there with a you know a lower body injury that we all kind of saw what happened there uh, as he pushed across the crease uh now, one other indicator of maybe Grubauer's timeline here is Chris Drieger. So Drieger, of course, was called up to be the Kraken's second goalie. He hasn't gotten into a game yet. Um, Joey Decord has played every game kind of the rest of the way since Grubauer left. But one thing that we learned is that uh, Chris Drieger has got some Winter Classic pads made. And, uh, you know, this is bittersweet news, right? I love seeing new Winter Classic pads. I love this for Chris Drieger. I love how they look, by the way. I mean, the waffle board blocker. I mean, it's yep. just, I, I thought, I think he's done a great job with these. But of course, what that implies about Philip Grubauer's timeline is that there's certainly a good chance that he's not going to be back for the Winter Classic, which is two weeks from today. Uh, so, I mean, that truly is kind of the meaning of week to week. Uh, he's got at least a couple weeks to go, it would seem. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's tough news to get, especially because, you know, Groove Hours is kind of picking up a little bit where he left off last season. He's been playing okay for the Kraken so far this year. Certainly been able to hold him in games. It's just injuries. It's just been brutal for him uh, so far. And it's uh, just unfortunate, and especially when it comes to potentially missing the Winter Classic. That's something you don't want for anybody on this roster. Um, unfortunately, I don't know that he'll necessarily be alone, RJ, when it comes to having to miss that game, which is uh, tough to hear. But what's uh, the latest on Jaden Schwartz? Right. So Jaden Schwartz, Still injured. I mean, he's been injured and kind of week to week for a while. Uh, but there was another development in his injury situation as uh, he was placed on LTIR or long term injured reserve the other day. And um, that, of course, I think he was placed there retroactive to I don't remember the day, probably the day after he got hurt. So yeah. I don't know how long he's technically, you know, been on LTIR at this point. Um, but of course, that's not really a good sign for his return anytime soon. Um, I guess we shouldn't be super surprised by that news as far as an injury timeline but he was placed on LTIR and of course we'll go into a little bit what that means and and why the Kraken did that so um you know I'll, I guess I'll just jump right into it right yeah um so <laughs> a few days ago this was the day of the Tomash Tatar trade um Jeff Baker actually came up with a tweet that got all of us thinking saying the Kraken were gonna make some roster moves that may not make sense on the surface right away but would become clearer by the end of the weekend and so you and I were trying to figure out okay what's going on here and then shortly afterward we got the first part of our answer, which was uh, the Kraken had called up Shane Wright from the Coachella Valley Firebirds, and they had sent down Ty Cartier, who Cartier has been playing fantastic. We, we knew that there had to be something head scratching about that. He should not be going to Coachella Valley anymore. He's just too good for that. Um, but then we kind of figured out why the Kraken did this from a cap perspective. And so I'm going to try and explain why they would make that move, which, by the way, they just undid the next day. So, yeah. you know, the very next day before another game was played, right, was sent back down to Coachella Valley. Ty Karche was brought back up yeah. to the crack. And yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's called a, a paper transaction where you, yeah, you just so do. Yeah, you just do something for the day. It doesn't mean anybody leaves where they are. They just yeah, it's all on paper. Right. 
Yeah, it's a it's called a paper transaction. So nobody actually moves. Now, this is a good thing to point out, Dylan. No one actually moves. The players are are let they let them know ahead of time, by the way. I did joke with Ty actually in the locker room the next day. You know, how was the imaginary one day trip to the desert? He's like, oh, yeah, it was great. Um, so, of course, he didn't go anywhere. They let him know ahead of time. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, but why did they do this paper transaction? Um, so at the time they did this and then they put um, – the first part of it. So they called Shane up, they sent Ty down, they put Jaden Schwartz on LTIR. And then once he's on LTIR, then they sent Shane down, called Ty up. Um, so I'm going to try and quickly explain why. So in short, you want to be as close to the salary cap as possible when you dip into long-term injured reserve or LTIR. So a little bit of background on this. So what is LTIR, long-term injured reserve, and how does it differ from IR, regular injured reserve? Um, so when a player is on IR, just regular injured reserve, they must miss seven days of action. So, you know, you can't, if players just can be out for a couple days, you can't put them on IR. They have to miss at least seven days. And when they are on IR, they do not take up a roster spot. So you free up a roster spot for somebody to come in and replace them on the team. That's kind of what IR is for. But their cap hit does still count towards your team's salary cap. So that doesn't go away. Now, on LTIR, or long-term injured reserve, a player has to miss 10 games and 24 days. So that's kind of the long-term part. So a player has to be out longer than they would be on regular injured reserve. So by Jaden Schwartz being placed on LTIR, we know that, and it's it, you can place them retroactive to when they yeah. got hurt. So we know that in total, he's going to miss 10 games in 24 days with that injury. Um, now, they also don't take up a roster spot. That's the same as regular IR. But the key difference with LTIR is when a player is on LTIR, the team does get cap relief for their salary cap hit. So that cap relief is called the LTIR pool. And that's the amount of money by which the team can go over the salary cap while that player is on LTIR. So you get some cap relief there. Now, the LTIR pool is calculated by taking the player's cap hit that you put on LTIR and subtracting the amount of cap space that the team had when they went into LTIR. So like a simple example, I'll kind of try and, and, and lay out here. So let's say a team has a million dollars in cap space. And they take a player with a $5 million cap hit and put them on LTIR. So their LTIR pool, the amount they can exceed the cap, is $4 million. So that's the $5 million cap hit of the player minus the million dollars in cap space that they had. But if you're that team, what if you have a player with a million dollar cap hit who's just sitting in the minors? What you could do, and it's a paper transaction part, you could call him up, then have zero cap space, and then put the original player on LTIR, and all of a sudden your LTIR pool would then be $5 million. And so you have some more room to exceed the salary cap. So then you could, right afterwards, send the player back to the minors, and you'd still be able to exceed the salary cap by $5 million for however long that player is on LTIR. So that's essentially what the Kraken did. Not by that amount, you know, they saved themselves, I think, what, like, you know, 50 something thousand, $59,000 in cap space, right? Because Shane Wright's cap hit was a little bit higher than Ty Karche's, about 59,000 higher. So you get a little bit closer to that cap ceiling before you go into LTIR, you put Schwartz on LTIR, and then you send those guys back and you have that extra little bit of cushion. Um, so the Kraken did that because they needed a little more cap space to get the Tatar deal done. Uh, they would have gone over the cap doing the Tomas Tatar trade otherwise. And so that's what allows them to kind of free up that cap space to make that move. Now, LTIR is not this just magic cure-all. It doesn't you know, make all these problems go away. While you're on LTIR, you cannot bank cap space. Cap space is calculated daily. It's not a yearly thing. And so for however long you're in LTIR, you don't get to bank excess cap space. So you can't use that extra room from maybe putting Schwartz in there because the Kraken still have some extra room to work with now. Mm -hmm. Schwartz carries a $5.5 million cap hit. Their salary cap pool is much higher than what Tatar's contract is. So you can't bank that cap space. So you don't want to be in LTIR if you can help it. The other thing is 
Schwartz at some point, hopefully, is going to have to come off of LTIR. And once that happens, you still need to be salary cap compliant. So the Kraken are going to have to find a way to make that work. I think timeline-wise, if it all works out, sending Chris Drieger back to the minors once Grubauer is healthy should take care of that. Uh, but we'll see how the timeline lines up. But that's something that Ron Francis also has to take into account. So hopefully that made sense. That's a little explanation of why the Kraken did those moves that they did in the lead up to the Tatar trade. Yeah, no, thank you very much, RJ. I think that was a pretty thorough explanation. Uh, should definitely help out a lot of people. I know it helps me out because I always just, it's just, it's so needlessly complex, RJ. There's a number, <laughs> it's the cap hit, just be under that, LTIR, the money just goes off. Why does there need to be all these weird pools and rules and, and banking it daily and all of that? It's so needlessly complex, RJ. It, it provides extra flexibility. I mean, that's really what it is. You have the hard cap, which I know a lot of people, myself included, you know, think is not the ideal situation to have a hard salary cap. But if you are going to have that, you have to have certain things, I guess, to create more flexibility. Where other, whereas otherwise, the Kraken would have just been stuck here and there <laughs> wasn't a whole lot they could do. So, you know, it does let teams, you know, field better rosters, I guess, and kind of get out of this stuff. Um, and if, hey, if you're interested, anyone listening to this, if you're interested in learning more about this, because there's so yeah. much more detail I could go into, check out the Armchair GM chat tomorrow. Um, we can get as into the weeds as any of you want to get on this kind of stuff uh, and also explore some fun trades and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I always enjoy talking about this stuff and, and hopefully clarifying it for people. Yeah, and even if you can't make it live, the, you know, the link that will be posted on Patreon will just take you to a replay of that live stream so you'll still be able to get the explanation and all of that good stuff. Um, I guess the one question that I can imagine people asking themselves, RJ, and in, in a way I'm also asking, Asking it was banking the extra fifty nine thousand dollars really you know that necessary given what what's league minimum now in in the NHL is it seven hundred and seventy five thousand so yes. like what is is fifty nine thousand like what's the point in banking such a small amount if you know you can't use that to really go out and and sign a player well I, I guess first of all you never know if you might yeah. need it, if there's some other trade you have to make, or if another player gets injured, you have to put them on regular IR, you have to call somebody up. That can add up quickly. That's kind of the reason the Kraken are in the position they're in now, because they have so much salary that's on regular IR that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they calling people up would put them over the cap. I guess the other reason, too, is, well, why not? You can yeah. do a paper transaction and, and why not bank the extra cap space? Y you might you might need it, you might not, uh, but there's no harm in doing it. And as a GM, I, I want a GM that thinks that way, that always takes care of every precaution, because it's it's better to uh, have it not need it than need it not have it. Very good, very good. I guess the, the one reason not to, RJ, is because it crashes our Discord server. That's why <laughs> it's down briefly Apparently. after all of this stuff happened when Tatar was traded over. So that that's the that's the reason there. Um, all right, so very good. There's there's that aspect of everything. Now, before that paper transaction, RJ involving Shane Wright and everything, one of the other things that had happened earlier this week um, was you know Justin Schultz had gotten injured. Kraken had already called up Riker Evans, but it meant that Riker Evans has been able to be in the lineup uh, maybe a little bit more and. Um, He's played a couple games now, RJ, and he looks really, really good. And I think it's time that we really talk about Riker Evans. He's six games into his NHL career now. He's got four assists, RJ, two even strength, two on the power play. He's doing a lot for this Kraken team. And look, we knew he was talented. We knew what he could do with the puck, but he's impressing in all ways right now. Yeah, early on, this looks like best case scenario for what we were hoping that Riker Evans could be at the NHL level. It seems like all the skills that we saw at the AHL level where he uh, you know, had so much success last season have translated seamlessly. And I'm really impressed uh, by his play defensively and the risk management side of his game. We know what he can do offensively. I said before the season, I thought he was the best power play quarterback in the Kraken organization. I, I don't believe that anymore because I think Vince Dunn got better at it. So that's a good mm -hmm. problem to have. But I still think he's the second best power play quarterback they have. And he's showed that early on with the power play production that he's been getting. 
but the defensive side of things too, the breakouts, the puck management. I mean, he is just unfazed by pressure in his own zone and he's got such great vision to help break the puck out and make passes that sometimes I don't even see from up in the press bridge. And that's really impressive because it looks really easy from my vantage point <laughs> and for him to see that stuff at ice level. I mean, he's just a special player. He really is. He's um, yeah. I I've talked about it on the various prospect chats and stuff. I've, I was right there with you. Fantastic offensive player. Definitely something the Kraken could use, especially on special teams. But I did have questions. You know, a lot of last year they wanted him to focus on working on his defensive game in Coachella Valley. This year, that was really the point of emphasis. And I could tell in the one game of that I was there in Coachella Valley that he was really trying to focus on the defense, but it wasn't necessarily always coming together for him. And I do wonder if now that he's up with the Kraken and the defense is there for him, I, I wonder how much of this is playing with an experienced defensive partner like a Brian Dumoulin. I'm sure that certainly helped not just playing with him, but also being able to talk with him and communicate with him and have him um, be there to help mentor Riker. And how much of it is the coaching staff just telling him, look, keep it simple, right? Because that's what he's doing defensively. He's playing a very simple, straightforward, conservative, like, this is what you're doing. He's not trying to chase pucks and go battle for it behind the net. He's not trying to go off into the corners. He's just, you know what? I'm going to kind of stay close to home. I'll pick up the loose man when the loose man's there, and I will get the puck when the puck is able to be gotten to, right? And and it's just he's keeping it simple, and I do wonder, why haven't the Kraken been playing that way all year, RJ? <laughs> I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but darn if it isn't effective, and Riker's proving it. Um so there's, there's that aspect of it, and I've been really impressed by that, and I think it's helping kind of the defensive side of the game click for him in a way that we haven't seen yet, and I think that that's very exciting because it, you know, it shows then what the future could be for him, right? As that elite offensive player, that, that guy able to produce points for you, able to help get your team going, play on the power play, but also be able to play a lot of minutes, RJ, because he's going to be responsible defensively. You don't have to worry about him being a liability, and this has kind of always been that you know that downside to players that have had that offensive capability that are those special offensively gifted defensemen is sometimes they can be real liabilities in the defensive zone and you're always trying to then as a coach manage what situations you're putting them into when things shift are you trying to maybe get them off the ice all that kind of stuff and the way Riker's playing right now Haxtell doesn't need to do that one of the things that's impressed me the most RJ and this is related to that is how much ice time he's getting Right now, in the, through his six games, he's averaging 18 minutes, 18 seconds on the ice, which is fourth among Kraken defensemen, RJ. It's actually a lot higher than Will Borgen and certainly a lot higher than his defensive partner, Brian Dumoulin. I mean, those are not third pairing numbers. And I know that I know the special teams play helps RJ, but I don't know that that explains everything because like Borgen gets PK minutes like he's getting special team minutes that should be roughly the same. But it really does seem like like Haxtell's really trust in the young guy yeah he is i mean you look at his ice time too even in that that last game against the kings you know almost 19 minutes of ice time you know i know overtime factors a little bit into that but that is as close a game as you're gonna find and mm -hmm. uh Haxtell was throwing him out there, you know, with the guys like normal. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the trust that Haxtell has in him. And look, we saw him be a workhorse last year in Coachella Valley. He yeah. played some monstrous minutes, especially during their playoff run. Right. Yep. But you never know whether that kind of thing can translate to the NHL as far as being a, that reliable player. We know he, his body can handle the minutes. He can, he can handle that physically. Um, but as far as being a reliable player, it looks like it is translating. And I mean, that is huge for the Kraken, certainly uh, as, you know, look, the D has been kind of up and down a little bit this year. You've had guys that have really good stretches, guys that maybe have some not so good stretches. I think at, at any given time, you know, Alexiak, Borgen, Dumoulin, Schultz, really any of those bottom four kind of had their ups and downs, right? I mean, you could even throw Larson and Dunn in there. And when that's the case, you'd love to be able to give some extra minutes to Riker Evans and, and kind of have him be that stabilizing force. Um, focus has been an issue for the Kraken blue line. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen that issue at all from Riker Evans at the NHL level. Focused every second that he's out there on the ice. And that's really what the blue line needed more of. Yeah, exactly. No, he's he's looked really, really good. Um, 
RJ, when I think of offensive defensemen, right, uh, in the NHL, and I know I'm going to be throwing out big names, and I'm not trying to compare Riker Evans right away to these guys. Why I'm doing this will become clear in a second. But you think of what makes a lot of the offensive defensemen around the NHL special, and you look at, like, say, a Kale McCarr, and it's his, it's his puck skills, it's his skating and his ability to create speed moving laterally up at the point across the blue line when he's playing up top. You look at a Quinn Hughes, and it's just... It's the vision, it's the smarts, it's that hockey sense that is just next level. He is he is aware of where everybody is on the ice at any given time. Is Riker Evans' thing playing down low in the offensive zone, going around, wrapping around the crease, RJ, going behind the net, coming back around, and then being able to make plays to teammates up front? Because that's something that I, I don't know that I've seen a defenseman kind of, you know, gel with that idea as much as it seems like he is I mean he's made some fantastic plays doing that and he seems to know exactly when he can get away with it too which is the most impressive part in my opinion yeah I mean you look at his first NHL point and it's a, off a set face-off play so you know that somebody's there to cover for you if it doesn't mm -hmm. go well because everything's been planned ahead of time and you circle around the net and, and give a perfect pass to Pierre Edward Belmar uh, to set up your first NHL point and that's I think a perfect example of that type of play where he doesn't mind coming down low behind the net I mean there was another play was it in that game or the next one where um, he kind of made this between his legs play behind the opponent's net and just shows the confidence that the young kid has I mean really it's everywhere in the offensive zone and I, I know that part is kind of more unique but the way he walks the blue line is just so impressive I mean you can see the potential for doing that with the best of them just moving laterally along the blue line to create space and I mean he did that in on a huge goal yesterday the tying goal Bjorkstrand on the power play where Evans kind of moves laterally to the left opens up some space for Oliver Bjorkstrand to get that shot that ended up tying the game and getting the crack in a point he just feels so natural in all those positions yeah I'm glad you brought that up because that is that is the other thing especially on the power play RJ the way he walks around and it's the fact that he has his head up in those situations right he's not looking at the player that is the safe easy pass that he can just pass the puck to to keep the puck moving right he's not just looking at the puck and making sure it's staying on his stick he's he's got his head up and he's looking forward he's always looking towards the goal he's surveying the defense in front of him he's looking to try to make a big play and I think that that's something that as much as Vince Dunn has improved on the power play, it's still something that Vince Dunn doesn't always do when he's running the power play. I don't always get the sense that he's trying to make a big play. He's more so just trying to make the safe play. And I think that's one of the big things that, that differentiates those two for me um, when it comes to them quarterbacking the power play. It's also something that I think more of the Kraken need to do on the power play, RJ. How many times have I talked about they have their heads up and they, they just shoot it right into the guy in the shooting lane? I like the fact that he doesn't really do that, right? And which, which is definitely important as a defenseman back there because if you do that, the other team's going to have a really good chance at a shorthanded opportunity. But for Riker Evans, the way he keeps his head up and is still able to see and know where everybody is is really, really impressed me. Really, really like that. I I mean, he's going to be QB1 next year, in my opinion, just based on the six-game sample size now. I try not to get too excited about small sample sizes, RJ, but it's been really hard not to with this one. Yeah, and it, you know, it feels like it's been longer than that. We see, saw him in the AHL last year, and we saw him during this preseason, too, yeah. where I, I thought, this guy, if you can just take care of the five-on-five -five play, this guy could be QB1 on your power play. I, I thought he was already at that point. So the fact that he is definitely getting it done at five-on-five, -five, I mean, that's that's everything I need to see. Definitely. So he is playing fantastic, RJ. And He's part of the reason that the Kraken have been able to turn things around, right? They've been able to pick up five points in their last three games, which has certainly been um, impressive given the state of the team going into that three-game stretch, uh, having dropped eight, only two points in their previous eight games. Um, but the Kraken are starting to do a lot better. So as we, t as we kind of transition into the deep dive segment here, RJ, I mean... A lot of things have changed for these last three games uh, that have that have resulted in in things changing. What's been the biggest thing for you, though, when you look at this team? What what stands out more than anything when it comes to how they're playing now and why they're having success when they really weren't before? I mean, I think it's something that you pointed out and that maybe you called for a little bit on the last podcast, which is the new system. I mean, they're just kind of trying to generate offense in a different way than they had before. Uh, 
I'll kind of go through the timeline of this season and really what it's felt like. The Kraken, I think, opened this season playing kind of similarly to how, to how they did last season. They weren't getting the scoring from it. I mean, they went pretty much the first week of the season. They just could not buy a goal to save their lives. And, you know, the coaching staff said, look, we need to adjust. And they put more of an emphasis on shooting the bleeping puck. <laughs> um, and so they kind of threw every puck they could at the net and just tried to generate those chances off of rebounds, bounces, tips, whatever it might be, just get to those areas. And it did provide a little bit of a bump for them scoring wise at the time. But then that leveled off again, and uh, it was clear that that wasn't working. And I think you saw the Kraken put more of an emphasis on shot quality versus shot quantity over these last few games. And I think it's really paying dividends and allowing them to play you know, in the way that maybe their personnel suits a little bit better. Um, I mean, you look at the shot totals these last three games, much lower uh, than in the past, certainly with shot attempts as well. And you're seeing a different way that they're generating offense. And it's certainly paid off. I mean, they've scored uh, a lot more goals in these last three games than they have, I think, probably, you know, in the five or six games prior. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had talked about that, right? Like they were last last time uh, at the end of that scoring, uh, the losing streak, excuse me. They had f uh, six goals in their previous five games had been shut out twice. I mean, they were they just could not buy offense, despite the fact that they were generating a ton of shots, despite the fact that if you looked at a public analytics model, like say on Money Puck, you were seeing you know, look on paper, they were getting, they're generating more expected goals than the other team. Like, why is this not working? It should be working. Um, but the bottom line was they were, they were generating a lot of, you know, easy to deal with shots and, and really shot opportunities, right? If you were a defense, you knew what to expect from the Kraken at, at that point. They, they were becoming very formulaic in the offensive zone. Their system was very easy to read and react to in the sense that it was just kind of dump and chase, go in, get it, throw it to the slot. If your center's kind of coming down and if, and if he's not, then you throw it back to the point, get a bunch of bodies in front of the goaltender and Hey, maybe we'll get a tip. Maybe we'll get a screen. If not, we can be, maybe get the rebound and we'll be able to put something home that way. And it just wasn't, it wasn't very dynamic is I guess what I'm working towards. And now what they're working with is a lot more dynamic. It's a lot more fluid. They're they're letting their players go out there and create offensive chances instead of trying to, I mean, manufacture them via a specific system. They're letting the players play. They're letting them be creative. They're letting them circle the zone if they want to circle the zone, whether it's a Riker Evans or a Matty Beneers or an Alexander Wenberg. They're allowing them to have more controlled zone entries, which I think has been huge for all of this. Go ahead. Let the team get set up in the zone. Take a second. Survey the defense. Find the holes. Find the weaknesses. Attack and exploit those. And I think that's why we've been able to see a lot higher quality looking chances from the crowd and certainly a lot more goal scoring. So hats off to Dave Haxtell and the rest of the coaching staff for going ahead and making that change because it's it's helped a lot of the players that were struggling, RJ, mainly Wenberg and Matty Beneers especially, um, look just a lot more like themselves, right? Matty, I, I talked about it for the last little bit, whether it was post games or the last um, podcast. He just didn't really look confident or comfortable all the time. He didn't look like Matty Beneers, the Matty Beneers that I had scouted before he was even drafted with the Kraken and then all through his development with the Kraken organization. He just didn't look like Matty Beneers. He looks like Matty Beneers now again, RJ, and that's certainly been great to see. Yeah, and I, you'd love to see him rewarded on the score sheet for it just a little yeah. bit more. He had some great chances, especially in that Chicago game where it felt like everybody was scoring and, and he just couldn't catch a break. But I do feel like those goals will come for him if they keep playing this way. And then, I mean, the L.A. game was the ultimate indication of this, too. The, the new style of play, right? Mm -hmm. The shots on goal in that game were 38 to 19 in favor of the Kings. But you take a look a little bit deeper. I'm looking at the money puck expected goals and the map, the shot map right yep. here. And expected goals were just about even 2.96 to 2.83 with that big of a shot disparity. Um, you know, I think that kind of tells some of the story. And if you look at the map as well, the Kraken don't have a lot of shots from, you know, far out in the, in the offensive zone. There's just this huge cluster right outside the goal crease. And you know what? I, I don't mind that. Mm -mm. No, isn't it interesting how they when they went away from the idea of we needed to like 
try to you know force all these chances <laughs> down low they they finally move away from that idea as a system and what do they end up with they end up with a bunch of shots down low but it's how those shots get there right it's the fact that a goaltender can't see them coming so those shots are a lot more dangerous because they're having to make a much more you know reactionary save it's the fact that the defense isn't necessarily prepared for it right they're not just kind of clumping in and staying close to home in a way where they can just get inside of a passing lane and kind of force you to take a shot against a square up goaltender right like players know that that's where you're going to score goals there is a reason that all the analytics models reward those chances more but how you get there can be so so different and the way the Kraken are getting there now is so much more dynamic and it's putting the defense so much more back on their heels it's forcing the defense to make plays rather than the Kraken having to make the play um, in order to succeed and I think that that's been the real difference and why they've been able to generate a lot more offense so definitely exciting excited about that aspect of things RJ and that Kings game was the first real test right it's one thing to do that in those previous games it's one thing to do that against a Chicago a team at the bottom of the standings but we had said starting with that Kings game continuing tonight against Dallas continuing against the Kings again on Wednesday in LA that's going to be the stretch that's really going to show us okay can this system work how are these guys feeling I think the one thing about it that is has been unfortunate so far RJ has just been when you allow your lines to go out there and be a little bit more creative and play their own style and have that very line by line, you rely a lot on line chemistry. And for that to kind of stick, you want the lines to stay consistent. Unfortunately, because of injuries, because of Tatar coming in, we haven't had that really yet through this stretch. Um, so I'm still looking forward to that, but we'll, we'll see tonight against Dallas. Right. And it looks from early indications in the line rushes. So, uh, by the way, one thing we didn't mention injury wise was Jordan Everly did miss that yeah. last game against the Kings appeared to be a short term thing. Looks like it will be a short term thing, uh, because it, it seems like he was, yeah, he was in line rushes to, uh, this morning, right? Yep. Yeah. So he should return uh, against Dallas should be just a one game absence, but in that spot, Tomash Tatar went in and filled in on the Beniers line with Jared McCann. Um, and so Everly is back with Beniers. So they're trying to keep things as close as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you talk about chemistry with the lines, the one line that Hackstall just hasn't had to touch, hasn't had to mess with is that Yanni Gord line. Gord yep. Tolvin and Bjorkstrand. I mean, they, you can set your watch to it this season and you know what, they've kind of become the team's first line. I feel like, People aren't talking about that as much. Sometimes they're still listed as the third line on things. They are properly the team's first line. They start every game. They get the most minutes just about every game mm -hmm. now. They get the toughest matchups. And you saw it against LA playing against the Kings top line, which was a really difficult matchup. I think they struggled early on, but they found their footing a bit later. But I mean, that line is just putting in so much work and uh, and really doing the le heavy lifting for the Kraken. They are. And they look they look arguably the most like improved also with the change RJ right like having Bjorkstrand be able to play east west again right having him be able to drop down below the goal line kind of cycle around the offensive zone really get lost behind defenses and get a good view of everything because as much as he can be a sniper he can also be a playmaker and I feel like that's helped a lot you've seen Yanni Gord is able to be a little bit more just straightforward right he can be that kind of bowling ball that just comes down the slot and really just starts creating havoc for a defense and forces them to you know at times turn their backs towards the puck because they got to deal with what Yanni Gord's doing and then of course Tolvanen can be an elite sniper and get open so that line has looked so fantastic I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah I think moving forward I mean they have to be considered the Kraken's first line just they have to. yeah I, I think so and I, I've even considered kind of changing our projected lineup graphic even though it's not like officially what the team says they're the team's first line and and really you go by ice time it's kind of clear they're the yeah. first line nobody's even close and then by a little bit the Wenberg line is the second line and I think one thing we do have to face the Maddie Veneers line right now they're playing as the Kraken's third line and you mm -hmm. saw it against the Kings where there was really a hard matchup type of game where they kept the matchups consistent and the Gord line was against the Kings first line. The Wenberg line was against the Kings second line and Maddie Beneers, that line, they were against the Kings third line with a Pierre-Luc Dubois line. And I think the ice time is kind of corresponding to that over the last few games. I'm curious, Don, what do you think about that distribution of ice time kind of making Maddie's line, the third line. And, uh, you know, I understand you want to give him chances to kind of get going mm -hmm. and maybe those easier matchups might help him there. But, uh, you know, maybe that's a bit of a blow to his confidence. What do you think? 
I don't know. I think, look, his his confidence has to be shaken this season anyway, just because he's not having the production that he wants, right? I, I don't know that you have to worry about necessarily doing more damage there. I think, yeah, look, if you're Hackstall and you're looking at the situation, there's a couple, or really anybody in the Kraken organization, Ron Francis, whoever, you have to look at it and you have to say, well, what's more important right now? Is it giving him as many minutes as possible, focusing on his long-term development, giving him the touch tough matchups so he learns how to play against those guys or do we need to worry about staying in the wild card chase here staying competitive for a playoff spot focusing on that and I think the Kraken and I think rightly have decided they need to focus on making the playoffs and which means you got to put the the line out there that's performing the best they're going to get the most ice time right uh if you have a line that is struggling you're going to give them less ice time you're going to give them the better matchups and yes at some point you hope that gets them going um just because you're going to need them to make that push but i think that's what hackstall's doing i don't blame hackstall for a moment for doing so i think that is the right call right now um because until that maddie line because it's not just really maddie that's been struggling that much you know what i mean like the rest of that line like when mccann's not there right jordan Everly's only got 14 points this year only three goals he's been struggling too and those guys are pretty much paired at the hip we'll see if tatar because that's what that line was today was veneers with Everly back and then tatar on the other side we'll see if that you know kind of helps get them going having tatar with them but right now you got to look at the big picture you got to look at it at it from a team first perspective and i think that's what hackstall's doing and i think that's why we're seeing this play out the way that it is yeah, no, that makes sense. And especially with Tatar kind of joining the team on the fly. I mean, he had gotten in midnight the, the previous yes. day. He had been around the team, you know, for only a matter of hours uh, at that point. And certainly you don't want to throw a ton of ice time on him and that new look line. Yeah. So I think they might get eased into it a little bit just because Tatar is there as well. Um, but hopefully they can kind of find that chemistry together because, look, it takes time. You know, I, I know we didn't even talk about the one game that Tatar had played already, but I'm willing to just throw that out because, I mean, what what do you expect from guy? He didn't look bad. No, you know, he, I didn't notice him a ton, but, um, you know, I, I'm going to give it a few games before I pass any judgment. I, exactly. I, I thought it was impressive that he was out there for three on three opportunities and overtime. Right. Because, you know, that speaks a lot of how Hackstall saw him. Maybe maybe the early returns that Hackstall was seeing with his chemistry with a Matty Beneers. Right. Throw him out there three on three with Matty Beneers. See if they can get something going. Um, maybe that was a long term play of look, if if they are thinking long term of having him play with Matty Beneers, give him give him the opportunity to be out there in a very creative you have lots of space and time to work give them that time together and see if if they can kind of click on something i don't know that's obviously highly speculative but that could be a reason um but yeah i mean right now if he's going to stay on that line long term that's that line rj that just you know i talked about it earlier with with tatar five percent shooting this season from him 5.2 shooting this year from jordan eberly 6.8 from maddie Believe it or not, RJ, Maddie's the sniper of that line. He's by far and away having the, the best luck, if you can believe it. Oh, man. <laughs> just take the unluckiest guys, put them all together on one line, and just hope they figure it out together. Yeah, you call it the they have to score eventually line, right? Um, it's it's just it's un, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's kind of an interesting plan if they are going to, in fact, do that. But, yes, I, I'd also uh, – got to think that Tatar appreciated you know joining a team getting there at midnight not having a ton of sleep and then not being told hey you got to go out there and stop this uh first king's line with Andre Kopitar and Quentin Byfield and and really you know just get thrown into a meat grinder like that yeah no that that would have been bad but uh, good on Hackstall putting him in the in the best position possible uh, given the circumstances yeah now I think there's two other things that that can be talked about here for for the Kraken's recent success RJ um and that's you know to the the PK um playing playing pretty well right now and Joey Decord uh do you have a preference on which one we start with uh, let's start with the PK because right. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Yeah. It's been very good. And um, I think you can also point to a bit of a change in system with that too, just with how aggressive that they've mm -hmm. been um, and really pressuring the puck carrier, not giving teams time to, to read or react the play. And um, that's a, a kind of change that you've seen on and off. I think over the last few seasons are, are they aggressive? Are they conservative? It also depends on personnel. I mean, having Brandon Tanev back consistently helps yes. so much. We've talked about this many times yep. this season, um, but I, I love what the PK has done recently. Uh, and it all started with that Florida game. 
I, I think that's the game that certainly helped turn things around for the Kraken. It's the game that ended the losing streak. We haven't really talked about it a bunch, but that's the game that finally snapped the losing streak and where the Kraken were able to turn it around and beat a really good team. You can't question, you know, the Florida Panthers credentials, how good they are. Um, and the Kraken came in there and looked convincing. And I thought the PK was a huge part of it. You look at that Florida power play, how skilled they are, all the great players that they have. They didn't know what to do when the Kraken pressured them with the puck. I mean, they just looked completely lost. Um, and I think that generated a ton of momentum for Seattle and kind of helped lead them to that win. And I think it before that um, goal they allowed in the Kings game after the Borgen penalty, I think it had been eight or so eight home games they hadn't allowed a single goal that pk yeah i mean it had been a long time especially at home that they were getting it done yeah oh definitely no it's it's definitely good stuff there really appreciating all that stuff and you know it's a little bit different than the power kill look from season one right like you're not necessarily aggressive in the sense that you're trying to push the puck up ice but you are playing aggressive in those passing lanes you're playing aggressive on the puck carrier not giving them time to let a play develop Right. Like that's that's what you want to be doing. And then that that continued against the Kings, RJ, although I don't know how much of that is also just the Kings power play looked like they didn't know what they were doing, regardless of what the Kraken were out there to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think that was more the Kings power play or or the Kraken's PK? Because, I mean, look, if you're in your spots and you're making good reads and, you know, then then you should be able to do your thing, even though there's like no movement on the Kings power play. But I do like the active sticks from the guys in that game, too. I mean, the the passing lanes were kind of they were there for a second, gone the next second as the as the sticks kind of kept moving around to take them away. So I like that bit also. Um, and, And I think the Kraken also dealt well with the Kings entries. Because the Kings zone entries were like really creative and effective. They had so many different looks on yeah. zone entries. Um, and it, it's the kind of thing that can really mess up a PK if you don't mm-hmm. handle it well. By the third period, it just seemed like those had kind of gone away and, and the Kings weren't able to enter the zone as well either. Yeah, no, they, no. All the credit goes to the Kraken PK there. I think um, I, I'm with you. That There was an obvious change from within that game, from from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. And that's that's really tough to do right to make those adjustments use the intermissions use the time on the bench to be focusing on that especially when you're talking about special teams in a close game i mean this was a tie game basically throughout it rj right so like to to be able to to have the time to focus on those things as as say a coaching staff um, or as the players themselves and be able to communicate that to your fellow player or to communicate that from coach to player and then have that be executed on later on in the game. Like that's there's a lot that goes into that. And you're talking about a situation that you don't know that you're going to find yourself in again that game. You don't know that you're going to be taking more yeah. penalties at some point, especially in the NHL. Right. It's a close tie game. You know, refs aren't going to call something late unless you do something egregious. <clears throat> Vince Dunn. And um, so it's just one of those things like like I-, I was really impressed by that just because you think about it from a logistics standpoint in a way, like just for lack of a better word, I'll say logistics. And that's impressive. And it shows that the coaching staff and the players are really treating things seriously right now and that they're in it together. They are working together. There's a lot of cohesion there. Really love to see that from from the group. Um, the other thing, uh, well, I had something else about the PK. Um, oh, the other thing about the PK, RJ, is, and this goes for, for penalty killing, all athletes, all sports, right, works where the more effort you put in, for the most part, you're then going to see those, you know, more results put out, right? Like, I put in X effort, I'm going to get X result. I feel like in hockey, RJ, never is that more the case than on the PK, Right. If you are committed to pressuring the defense, getting in that extra bit of skating, or it could end up being a lot more skating if you're out there for 45 seconds and the other team's really moving the puck around. It just does make that much more of a difference. Right. There are other aspects where, OK, I can put in this extra work, say, on this four check, but is it really going to yield that much more result? It absolutely does on the PK. And so getting the penalty killers to kind of buy into that and to understand that of, yes, it's going to wear you out. Yes, it's 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 hard to do. And you're having to think a lot. And it's you know, there's a lot that's going on mentally and physically for you. But understanding that it will absolutely pay dividends for you and help you win this game is big. And I think the Kraken have kind of like hit that point. And I, I love to see that. Yeah, and credit to Jay Leach for that, because look, we, we have given him a hard time earlier this season just based on how the PK had been doing. It yep. certainly had been struggling. But as you said, buy-in is super important. And a lot of that's on a coach, too. You got to get the guys to believe that the effort they put in is going to make a difference. And, and Leach seems to have been able to do, do that. 
Oh, definitely. And then, you know, another member, don't talk about them often when it comes to penalty killing RJ, but goaltenders got to make saves when those shots come through. And Joey Decord's been making saves, whether it's on the penalty kill or at five on five RJ. Um, Joey Decord's just absolutely killing it right now, right? Coming in for the injured Philip Grubauer, somebody needed to step up and, and he is stepping up. Yeah, majorly stepping up for the Kraken, especially with Grubauer's injury. You need a goalie to come in there and just take the reins, kind of like last season where Martin Jones was able to come in there, take the reins and provide some really solid goaltending in Grubauer's absence. And it seems like Joey Decord is, is doing that exact thing uh, this year. And, and just can't overstate how huge that has been for the yeah. team. You know, if, if you have struggling goaltending with your, your number one goalie out, uh, you could be in a really bad spot. Um, but he just he looks confident. He looks calm. I mean, this is not that different than what we've seen from him in spot duty in the past. Um, it just feels like he's that extra little bit, uh, you know, kind of on tuned in, right? Dialed mm -hmm. in. Um, and yes, there's still that aggressiveness. He's still being himself too. He's coming yeah. out to play the puck at times that we know, you know, he's, he's still being aggressive at the top of the crease and occasionally he gets burned on it, but not as much as you'd think. And, and certain plays that I, I look at players coming in, there was a, a big save early on in the, I believe it was the Florida game where the cords way out of the crease. It's kind of a two on one. And, you know, there's a player coming in on him that thinks he can just walk around Joey Decord because that's the book mm -hmm. on him, right? Walk around him like Matt Boldy did in the previous game. But I think Decord knew that was coming. He kind of anticipated it, got the leg out there and made a huge save credit to Riker Evans, by the way, taking away the pass on that. Yeah. Uh, so there was no pass across, but those are the kind of plays where I feel like Joey's almost getting ahead of it. And kind of reading and reacting to what shooters think they're going to be able to get away with when shooting on him. And, and I love to see that evolution from him. That is that next, yeah, that next step in evolution, right? From what we were talking about last week where I was talking about, it looked like Matt Boldy knew exactly what to do on Joey Decord, right? Like the book was out and it was, if you can make that move, you get him to bite on that move, that's it. It's game over for him. You could just walk around him casual as can be. And that doesn't look like the case anymore. And I look at the four games, RJ, that he started since that Philip Grubauer injury. And, you know, it's not the most complete stat in the world, RJ, but save percentage, 920 against Minnesota, right? And that was a tough loss for the team. He got no goal support. Um, it was a tough loss, it, but he was coming off of having to fill in for Grubauer the night before, play 23 minutes there. You know, it was still a good effort. 920 is a great save percentage. Gets his first career NHL shutout against Florida next game out. So obviously that's fantastic. 955 save percentage only allows one goal to the Chicago Blackhawks. And look, it came off of a really rough turnover in the defensive zone. Like he didn't, he wasn't going to have much of a chance on that one. And then against a really good deep scoring LA Kings team. Holds them to only two goals on 38 shots, RJ. 947 save percentage. Able to bring up his save percentage on the year to an unthinkable for a Kraken goaltender, RJ. 908. I mean, that's I, unreal. I, I never thought we'd see the day, right? Um, it, and hopefully he's able to keep it going. And I know, yes, there's all the, the kind of save percentage jokes, uh, you know, with, with how the Kraken goaltending has been. But you know what? I, uh, <laughs> I I feel really good for Joey Decord being able to put that save percentage as high as it is because we know a lot of it can be system-based as well. Yes. Kraken goalie could be playing really well, and that save percentage can look very bad. Um, so when it goes up to a 908, you know, you know it's good. Um, and even the more the more nuanced stats, you know, you look at the quality starts, you know, the, yep. the goal save of expected. He's looking good there too. I mean, the, the biggest thing I think is is just quality starts where you give your team a chance to win the game and you look at quality start percentage for for Decord this year, and it's it's 600, which is pretty good you, you know you'll yeah. take that um you know compared to you look at grubauer for comparison 235 um decord has kind of given his team a, a chance to win pretty often mm -hmm. and haxtell even pointed that out with some of the losses too he was saying the other day that that decord you know he's played some winning hockey he's played hockey that was good enough to yeah. win games we just kind of didn't get that extra goal for him or didn't get that first goal of the game for him uh, you know i think a game like you know ottawa is a good example of that you know where the kraken just kind of can't get the extra goals for a guy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you look at those four game stretches. I mean, he had three of them were quality starts. And you know the one that wasn't technically a quality start? Which, it was the Blackhawks game. Of course. Where they win seven to one. But the Blackhawks didn't manage to get to one expected goal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he did everything he needed to do there. Um, and yeah, he's just really solid. I mean, Dylan, at what point do you worry though about fatigue? Because I mean, he can't play every game until Grubauer's back, right? 
Well, that's or can he? I, well, he can. I don't know that the quality will stay, but physically, he probably can. Um, it is that is something that I am starting to to think about here. I think you you know maybe you get him through. You 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 keep him going. He's he's hot right now. You ride that through tonight against Dallas and maybe Wednesday against the Kings, and then for the Ducks game, right, a, a lesser opponent. Maybe that's where you start um, getting Drieger in there. But I am with you. I I do worry about burnout. But I do wonder if now that, you know, maybe if internally they're starting to think more long term with Grubauer's injury, they're not going to have him back as much. I, I do wonder if they're going to start going back to more of a traditional, you know, starter backup type split between him and Drieger because they, they got to be thinking about that, right? Right. I mean, when you look at the schedule, I mean, it helps that they don't really have back to backs. I think you might actually be able to get away with it depending on well, when you get Grubauer the, comes the Christmas back. break a little bit there, too. Yeah. That's the thing. So you've got Dallas tonight. Then in a couple of days, you got at L.A. And that's, you know, a bigger stretch. But then you do have a couple of days off in between Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And then you've got four days off. You know, you got the Christmas break, Calgary. So that's not too bad. And then you're mm-hmm. scar- starting to go to a more rigorous schedule than, you know, couple days you got philly a couple days you got the winter classic um so i think you might be able to get away with it i mean certainly if grubauer is out through you know maybe january or february yeah. you've got to give drieger a start or two you know here or there but they really don't have back-to-backs until january 15th and 16th so i suppose you could just kind of ride joey he's he's had this kind of workload before mm-hmm. in the ahl you look at it last right. season he has done it but you don't want to burn him out ideally no you don't especially because look Quite frankly, with the nature of Grubauer's injury, it's something even once Grubauer does come back, it's going to be in the back of your mind, right? It, it just is one of those things with goaltenders. And so you're going to want to make sure that, say, should something happen later in the year, you'd be able to go with Joey Decord and, and have him not be burned out at that point. Um, the last thing on him, RJ, I just find this interesting. He's had 15 starts this year, five wins, five losses, seven overtime losses. And I would say for a backup goaltender, RJ, that's exactly what you want. He's keeping you in games, giving you the chance to win, as Hackstall said, and he's helping you pick up points, right? He's keeping you in it in the standings. He's helping you tread water the games he's in there. I mean, that is like almost in a weird way, like the perfect record for a backup goaltender. Yeah, 17 out of 30 possible points in his starts. And for a team that hasn't always played that great in front of him, pretty impressive. Um, you absolutely take that. And I mean, th- those are great numbers for, for your backup goalie. And there were some questions going into the season because he hadn't really been a full-time backup in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I-, I think he's answered every one of those questions. Now, Dylan, seven overtime losses, though. <laughs> Yes. You know, they, we, we've talked about a lot about the crack and having a bunch of OTLs. It feels like Joey's in net for a lot of those. Yeah. Do you think there's anything to that, to, to his style of play or anything that maybe doesn't work as well in overtime or particularly a shootout? Because I kind of have uh, one thought on that, especially after the shootout from last game. Well, look, OK, a lot of what we had talked about last week about the book on Joey and, and what you can do if you can get him down, how he's just kind of then down and out certainly does not lend itself well to a shootout. I think there is something to be said for that. I, if that's where you're going, I agree. That is where I was going. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is also the Kraken just they're not very good in shootouts themselves as far as scoring goals. So I, I do think there's an element of the goal support not always being there, too. I think both things combined to kind of doom them come shootout time. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, Joey certainly, I remember growing up when I was a goalie and, you know, I was young, like 13 years old. And I remember my goalie coaches would always tell me like in a shootout, never make the first move, make the yep. shooter, make the first move. Joey loves to make the first move. <laughs> He'll try and force the shooter into something. And you know what? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, you know, he he knows who he is. He, he knows what he tries to do. And, you know, again, you just have to have, to have a plan and go into it. Who am I to talk? I never want to shoot out as a goalie. So. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, oh, and twelve. Oh my gosh, RJ. Well, we definitely know you shouldn't be the 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 epug if if needed. Uh, come shootout time. <laughs> definitely sure. not. Um, I was just gonna say, like, how long will he have more overtime losses than either wins or losses, RJ? Because that's pretty impressive, as he's gonna be getting a lot of starts here. You think the wins and or losses would have to add up, but you know what? With how many one goal games the Kraken play, I don't know. 
know either. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, RJ. Look, Kraken are right back in it, right? Just a couple points out of a playoff spot. Other teams are starting to catch up, so the games in hand aren't as big a deal for some of them. There are still a few teams where that could be a problem for the Kraken as the year goes on. But if they continue to pick up points the way that they are right now, RJ, if Joey's able to help them do that, um, I, look, they're they're going to they're gonna stay competitive and in this for, for a while yet. We don't have to worry about them now, I feel like, being out of it come the end of the year. And I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I am too. It really does feel like the team has kind of turned the corner here. And you just were waiting for one win to get that momentum back onto the right side where it needed to be. And I think that kind of happened in the Florida game. Mm-hmm. The three games since, I mean, they've they've just looked really good, really solid, and, and like a team that can compete for a playoff spot. I know last week we talked about, well, it sounds crazy but the Kraken are not out of it yet. Now I think yeah. it sounds a little bit less crazy. The reality is the same. They're not out of it yet. They've got a lot of work left to do, but in their current situation, they're not in trouble. And I, as I said last week, there's the second half of that of what has the team done to give you any reason to believe that they can actually turn things around mm-hmm. and, and make the most of that opportunity. Now I think we're seeing a little bit of hope. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And that's going to continue tonight against the Dallas Stars. RJ, one more time, reminding you all, come check out that live game commentary. If you are a Patreon member, or if you're just interested, you can sign up for that seven-day trial. Get that. Get the Armchair GM stream tomorrow on Tuesday. Get the Prospect live chat on Thursday. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And then also, another reminder, more homework for everybody. Go check out that new <laughs> Queen Anne Beer Hall location. So fantastic. Can't wait to get up there and check it out for myself, RJ. And uh, hopefully they'll have the Detroit style pizzas ready for me. <laughs> yep. Got to get those ready for you. It certainly won't feel like homework. They, then we got to head over there. I was going to say, if if they need a, a pizza tester or something like that, you know, while I'm up mm. there, I, I, I would be willing to volunteer some of my time for a good cause such as that. Maybe I should run that by the guys. If you'd be willing to so kindly volunteer, Dylan, yes, maybe, maybe I, they'd be receptive to that. I, I think I could do that. I think I could manage. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Alvi, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Shazzle Dazzle, Chip, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Evie99, Eli, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Empty Net Hockey, Ethan, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Julia, Justin, Katie, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Levin, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Michigan Kraken, Nick, Nightdrop, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Ryan, Randall, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean, Sean, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team 114, Chris, Ty, Wendy, Where the Slovakians at, Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.